1: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our old buddy Greg Palast on the line with us, the investigative journalist, the author, his latest book, How Trump Stole 2020, something that is still up in the air. Jeez. His website, gregpalast.com. You can tweet him at greg underscore palace. Greg, welcome back to the program. I understand there's some new goings on down in Georgia. Tell us about
2: it. Oh my God. The smell of audacity. The secretary <laughs> of state has proposed a new rule to stop voter fraud. You know, all the voter fraud that they've found in Georgia, but this is really serious stuff. He stuck in a rule. I'm kid you not at midnight last night. Georgia time with an emergency hearing this morning of the Board of Elections to prevent people from coming into Georgia and voting in the Senate runoff, which is, of course, going to decide everyone's Senate. Now, how are they going to catch these fraudsters? Well, they're going to prevent any county official, elections official in any of the 159 counties can stop anyone from registering. Ready? If you don't have a car registered in Georgia. Now, needing to buy a car. To vote, Tom, Uh, that's kind of a heavy poll tax. So they can't actually stop you from voting or registering, but they can withhold your registration till they give you a hearing to confirm that you're a
1: Georgian. And the hearings will happen, no doubt, after the election, right? That's right. It'll
2: happen after the January 5 election. So understand who's going to be hit here. We are going through a massive registration, re-registration drive, you know, working uh, with the frontline groups like Black Voters Matter. This will hit students, especially like the students in Savannah and in Atlanta and and Athens. Um, How many students have cars? The other is, of course, urban low income voters who don't have cars either who are registering or re-registering they happen to be they just happen to be black or if concerned to the state blue voters so students low income people people in the urban areas who use public transportation that is low income people in other words they literally saying you have to have a car in Georgia to vote again they're not stopping you from registering they're just going to withhold your registration until after the election Again, they've pulled this stunt a couple times. Back in 2014, when I first met Stacey Abrams, uh, I met her at the Ebenezer Baptist Church with Reverend Warnock, of all people, because they were concerned that this guy, Brian Kemp, their Secretary of State, had withheld for six months six months, 50,000 new registrants, young voters of color. He withheld their registrations until after a Senate election in 2014. Now they're pulling this stunt again. No other state that I know of does this, by the way. But this is this is really serious stuff because it's going to be down to, you know, a handful of votes. It's, It's a blood battle in
1: Georgia right now. This happened to your daughter, Greg?
2: Yeah, and when uh, she was a Georgia resident, student in Savannah for four years, uh, and uh, she tried to register. They said, "Oh, well, wait. You have a New York driver's license, register. She said, "Well, because on summer vacations I drive in New York, but I don't wear, you know I don't in Savannah, Georgia. Everyone uses bicycles, right?" And um, but okay, so they withheld her registration. She had to fight them. So of course, a lot of her fellow students simply didn't go through the battle. To get back to get on the voter rolls, she did, but you know, again, she missed an election. And this is January five; the cutoff for registration is December seven. But Georgia has a rule that they don't put your name right on the voter rolls; they have to quote confirm confirm your residence. This is you know, and now they're adding this new thing that they can withhold and say your residence isn't confirmed unless you have a car registered. And by the way, it says not only registered, but you will have had to have paid the registration tax. What does this have to do with voting except to knock out students, low-income people, urban people, the blue people?
1: This is mind-boggling. Kemp has done this before. How is this going to play out, Greg? I mean, I'm assuming that the NAACP or somebody is launching a legal set. I mean, we've got two weeks till the deadline. You're you're, you're so
2: telepathic, Tom. I just, heard from the ACLU uh, and, and others and our lawyers, people have not noticed. Again, this was slipped in at midnight last night. They held hearings this morning, and they decided the Board of Elections at 8 a.m. this morning with the Secretary of State there, oh, we actually don't even have to vote in this new room. Um, we don't have to hold hearings. Our person on the ground there, Terry Manpearl, asked, do you have a single case of fraud of someone coming in from out of state and registering, do you have one case, this is going to knock out thousands of new voters, do you have one case of fraud that backs this up? She got no answer. I said, we don't have to have a hearing, we don't have to answer questions, because the Attorney General, a Republican, has now said, we can simply implement this rule, we don't even have to have a vote on it. It's really serious stuff, and they're sneaking it in without notice, that's why i'm shouting uh, about it on your program please i'm still telling people if you're not registered please check your registration even if you think you are in georgia cut off is december 7th and please do it now because if you have to go through a confirmation process my friends you're going to miss january 5.
1: yeah and an easy way to check your registration is to go to iwillvote.com that's the uh, website that the democratic party put up that uh, you know, plug in your Georgia uh, zip code and it'll take you right to the Secretary of State's office. But are there other sites, Greg? Yeah, I'm assuming you have information over at GregPalace.com.
2: Uh, yes, at GregPalace.com, and we have, of course, the the site that was launched by uh, Leo DiCaprio, um, SaveMyVote.org. SaveMyVote.org, and you can look up if you're on the Georgia purge list. But it has a link straight to the Secretary of State's office to re-register if you've been removed from the voter rolls, that's our first concern Or go straight to the secretary of state's office on that link to register if you're not registered. I'm telling you, especially if you are a student uh, and you don't, and now we know if you don't have a car, you better be uh, checking your registration or registering right
1: now. But if you don't have a car, And like your daughter, you know, she doesn't have a car and she's got a New York driver's license, even though she lives nine months out of the year in Georgia, which qualifies you for residence because she's going to college. She she Um, fought and won and voted, yes. Over the next two weeks, Stacey Abrams is is trying to sign up as many people as possible. Are any of them going to be able to vote?
2: You're going to have to fight for that vote. It's up to each county whether they're going to block you. I'm very, very concerned about this. So we don't know yet, but I'm on the phone with the lawyers and we're not going to be silent about this.
1: Yeah, good idea. Good. Greg Palace, you can read all about it at GregPalace.com. Check out his latest book, too, How Trump Stole 2020. Greg, always great talking with you. Thank you so much for dropping by. Thanks, Tom. Bye. I just want to lay this out. I mean, this is just becoming so obvious, I think, to most Americans, that the Republican Party is not a legitimate party. It's not a legitimate political party and hasn't been for some time that it's essentially a cult. And it's a cult that stands for one thing, the privilege and power of white men. Over the last 40 years, they developed all these bizarre and Byzantine rules to prevent low-income whites and people of color from voting. You know, like like Greg was just telling us about in Georgia. Oh, you don't have a car registered here in Georgia? Well, we'll just hold on to your voter registration until after the January 5th election, and then we'll have a hearing about whether or not we're going to let you vote in Georgia. And now they're trying to throw out ballots in Detroit, majority black city, Philadelphia, a large black population. I'm not sure if I don't think it's majority black, Atlanta, majority black city, I believe. It's just like, hey, let's pick these places where there's lots of people of color and just blow out their votes. I mean, they have been doing this for decades at both the state and the federal level. It isn't just that. They've also been working aggressively to prevent women from having access to birth control, to prevent women from having access to women's health services, and to prevent women from having access to safe legal abortions. They've turned this Male supremacy thing into a religion. And of course, as a religion, it's being promoted by the religious hucksters out there as well. You know, when the coronavirus hit, most of the developed countries in the world started making direct payments to workers. Just going around the companies and just saying, okay, how much was this person making? Well, we'll write a check to them up to a certain amount. And, you know, so unemployed people could continue to get by. Norway for example right now has an unemployment rate of 2%. There's a lot of people who aren't working, they're getting their paychecks from the government. The economy the, the economy in Norway is actually growing right now. Of course they've also got the coronavirus largely under control. But anyhow here in the United States we tried this with the CARES Act. Hey, let's give everybody 600 bucks a week. And the Republicans were like, "Well, we'll go along with that. We'll give working people 600 bucks a week for 2-3 months." But you've got to give the fat cats, the billionaires, you know, the Mitt Romney level rich guys, the really, really, really rich guys, the Kelly Loeffler, multi-multi-millionaire Kelly Loeffler flying back and forth from Georgia to Washington, D.C. in her own $25 million private plane. You thought having a Tesla was a status symbol, right? We wanna make sure that they get giant tax breaks and huge subsidies that don't just expire in three months like the 600 bucks a week does, but that last forever, forever. And the taxes on average working people will start going up next year. And they got it in the law, there it is. Fat cats and big corporations making out like bandits. Average working Americans, screwed. The Republicans have worked for years to gut workers' rights to destroy labor unions, and to hold the minimum wage below starvation levels. They put the profits of polluting corporations above the rights of average Americans to have clean air, pure water, and a safe food supply. They fight to help monopolies and giant corporations control market share while wiping out small and medium-sized businesses across dozens of sectors. They're working as hard as they can right now to destroy America's national parks and wild areas so that their fossil fuel donors can extract more profits from land that was put in trust for all of us, in some cases, more than a century ago by Teddy Roosevelt. They're openly promoting lies about global warming to help those same fossil fuel donors at the expense of a possibly civilization-ending environmental catastrophe. They have supported a president who lied about masks and other common-sense public health measures. While the wealthy and the billionaire class are living in their gated private mansions with, you know, live-in bubbled staff. and, And when they have to travel, they use, like Kelly Loeffler does, they use their own personal private jets. Their campaigns and slogans that have openly targeted people of color for over a century include law and order save our heritage, our Confederate statues and military base names. Trump is willing to go to the mat on this one, you know, blowing up uh, the defense budget just to keep the names of Confederate traitor generals on military bases and jobs, not mobs. Yeah, this is, you know, from Nixon's Southern strategy to Trump's birtherism. That's the Republican Party. Hating on black people has been their pole star. And then, you know, illegal immigration, quote, the majority of the people in this country, even from Mexico, who are here without documentation, did not sneak across the Rio Grande River. They came across a border crossing in Tijuana or Juarez or El Paso or whatever, like they were coming in here to, to shop for groceries for the day and they just never went home. But Trump's got to have his racist wall to prove his racist bona fides, right? And he's built three whole miles of it. Yes, they've renovated a, you know over 100 miles, but they're always doing that. You can't name a single piece of legislation that Republicans have put into place for the average American in the last 40 years. Instead, they're trying to gut Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. And now they're openly embracing Nazis, religious fanatics, and conspiracy theorists. The Republican Party is no longer a party. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, Tom Harman here with you. Even the vaccine czar, this is how bizarre it gets. They wanted to hire a guy to be the vaccine czar who was, who was going to, like, oversee all this stuff, you know, with regard to the vaccine. Monsef Salawi is one of the top scientists uh, Operation Warp Speed. He's on the board of directors of Moderna, you know, which is taking a lot of money to develop a vaccine and has come out with one of these two. So they said, you know, if you want to be on this vaccine board, you've got to sell your stock so you don't have an obvious conflict of interest. And he said, well, I'm not willing to do that. And they said, okay, cool. We'll make you a contractor rather than a government employee. So you don't conflict of interest laws won't apply to you. So if they're just saying to one of their grifters, hey, come on in and just participate in our grift and we'll let you keep getting rich. How much money do you think that the Trump crime family is making off inside information? Because, you know, if you're the vaccine czar, you can certainly make a fortune on inside information. We know Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue did this, you know, selling stock when they heard that the the economy was going to tank. Buying stock for companies like Citrix, which makes the go-to-my-PC product that people use for remote office work. Buying stock in Netflix because people are going to be home more. It's like grift is like the official religion of the Republican Party. Randy in Ottawa, Iowa. Hey, Randy, what's up?
4: Fleecing the Republican Party, fleecing the states. I live in a red state, and I'm gonna use that point of view. That in Iowa, we give about 80% of the federal taxes we pay comes back to Iowa. And it's similar to that, or a little bit less than that in Nebraska, similar to that of California and New York new york but i'm in a republican state a red state it's republicans that are being fleeced by this giving this 20 percent to uh, states that are in the rears like mississippi kentucky and stuff like that you touched my heart with this rant the point i wanted to make was you fell short one step that is redistribution of wealth that is an antitrust issue with the republican party so here it yeah. is Republicans yeah, you're right. being fleeced by Republicans, and the Republican senators and Democrats are not coming home and being straight with their voting public.
1: You got it, Randy. And they're redistributing wealth. Oh, my God. Thank you, Randy. And welcome back to our Tom Hartman University book club. Today, we're reading from Devil's Bargain by Joshua Green, the subtitle Steve Bannon, Donald Trump and the Storming of the Presidency. This is from the afterward the very last chapter it's titled Kali Yuga which in Hinduism is when the earth goes into a phase of destruction In the shell-shocked aftermath of the election president Obama looking shaken appeared in the White House rose garden to deliver public remarks intended to project a sense of calm a sense really that the basic stability of our country remained intact Sun is up Obama said I know everybody had a long night I did as well had a chance to talk to President-elect Trump last night, about 3.30 in the morning, I think it was, to congratulate him on winning the election, end of quote. The next day, when the two men appeared together in the Oval Office, it felt as if the world had slipped through the looking glass. Trump quickly named Bannon his chief White House strategist. Republicans controlled every branch of government. But Trump's ability to defy every political norm, anything seemed possible. Who could argue otherwise after what had just transpired? And yet within days of his inauguration, Trump's White House was plunged into chaos and scandal from which it has not recovered and may never. Bannon, the imaginative reconceiver of U.S. politics, hung streams of paper listing Trump's promises from the walls of his West Wing office. His strategy, as always, was to launch furious attacks, this time to, quote, shock the system, end quote, and rapidly reorient the federal government in a more nationalist direction. He called this, with what I took to be intentional irony, a shock and awe approach to asserting Trump's power. But Trump's flurry of activity quickly ran into problems. There was his executive order sprung a week after his inauguration, banning immigrants from seven majority Muslim countries, which set off nationwide protests and was blocked by the courts. His firing, two weeks later, of National Security Director Michael Flynn for contacts with the Russians. The collapse of his first major legislative initiative, a bill to repeal Obamacare. Is firing of FBI Director James Comey and the swift descent of the West Wing into a viper's nest of backstabbing and leaks. This quick turn toward a crack-up was hardly unforeseeable or even altogether surprising, but it contrasted sharply with the success of a candidate who had dominated his opponents, shaped news coverage, and shown himself to be all but impervious to the forces that overwhelm other politicians. Bannon, whose wild gambits in the campaign had invariably paid off, seemed to run out of magic tricks when Hillary Clinton was no longer a target. The government wasn't as malleable to Trump and Bannon's aggressions as the Republican Party and the cable news channels had been, and they found themselves consistently thwarted and undermined by the courts, by right-wing hardliners in Congress, by their own inexperience and Trump's errant tweets, and by the bureaucracy they were now overseeing. The crises these failures precipitated in the White House cost Bannon much of his influence and soon threatened Trump's presidency. While still early in his term the possibilities Trump's most ardent supporters once imagined for his presidency already seemed to be mostly foreclosed. I think there are three main reasons why Trump's administration has so quickly fallen into disorder and confusion. Number one, Trump thought being president was about asserting dominance. Just after he'd locked up the GOP nominations, Trump said something to me that crystallized his view of politics and explains to my mind much of his subsequent difficulties. Quote, I deal with people that are very extraordinarily talented people, he told me. I deal with Steve Wynn. I deal with Carl Icahn. I deal with killers that blow these politicians away. It's not even the same category. This, he meant politics. This is a category that's like 19 levels lower. You understand what I'm saying? Brilliant killers. Trump was equating politics with business and the presidency with the job of being a big-shot CEO, a killer. He filled the upper ranks of his administration with people of a similar mindset, Gary Cohn, Wilbur Ross, Steve Bannon, aggressive, domineering men accustomed to getting their way by dint of their position. None had government experience, nor did many others in the West Wing. So none anticipated the problems this approach to governing would cause. Trump's self-conception as the all-powerful apprentice boss blinded him to a fundamental truth of the modern presidency, that the president needs Congress more than the Congress needs the president. Trump's domineering instinct served him poorly, since most members of Congress are secure in their jobs and accountable mainly to their own constituents. And it backfired disastrously when Trump fired Comey after he refused to submit to a pledge of loyalty to his boss. Number two, Trump ran against the Republican Party, Wall Street, and Paul Ryan, but then took up their agenda. Populists often struggle to govern, but Trump scarcely attempted to lead the populist revolution that he promised. In May, he told me he would transform the Republican Party into a workers' party. But while he kept voicing populist sybilles, the legislative agenda he took up was the standard conservative fare pushed by Paul Ryan. In the GOP primary, Trump has shrewdly sensed its weak point. Ryan's desire to finance tax cuts for the rich by cutting programs like Social Security and Medicaid armed the party's white, blue-collar base. Trump told me he'd made this point to Ryan directly. He said, quote, there's no way a Republican is going to beat a Democrat when the Republican is saying we're going to cut your Social Security, and the Democrat is saying we're going to keep it and give you more. The book is Devil's Bargain by Joshua Green. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Exposing the con in conservative. Stick around.
3: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: Kerry in Springfield, Missouri. Hey, Kerry, what's up? Hey, um, well, my question is
5: that uh, provided there's a uh, Biden administration and the attempted Trump coup doesn't work, is there going to be any initiative or push towards
1: abolishing the Electoral College? There's two ways to abolish the Electoral College. The first is by a constitutional amendment. And in 1977, the uh, House of Representatives was three votes short of making that happen. It would have passed the Mm -hmm. senate which is pretty amazing i mean that's it was a totally bipartisan thing everybody was like hey this thing has been around for 240 years it was originally put into place largely because it took five it, it could take a week For news to travel from from remote states, you know, from from uh, northern New Hampshire or southern Georgia to Washington D.C., and so you know, we'll just have people send their representatives basically to vote for the president, and you know, their trusted, wise elders. That was the whole idea. You know, within forty years, it was completely unnecessary. And in 1977, there was this broad consensus thing, too, right? Well, it worked to the benefit of some of the southern states. You know, yes largely because of the Three-Fifths Compromise, but, you know, the real reason for it was, you know, Alexander Hamilton lays it out in, in the Federalist Papers, I think it's number 54, where he talks about how if you're in a, in a remote area, there's no way that you can ever meet or get to know a politician running for president. You could do that with a governor or with a county executive or a mayor, but not the guy running for president. So instead, you vote for a person that you trust, a trusted member of the community who has never been elected to public office who has you know, therefore has no dog in the fight and is not a member of a political party. I mean, that's right there in the Constitution, not the party part, because they didn't have parties at the time, but they have never been elected to public office. And that person will go to Washington, D.C., and as Alexander Hamilton laid out, determine if the candidate you know, who the, the state sent them to vote for is a man of, quote, low moral character. And if so, mm-hmm. then they can vote for the other guy. That, that was the whole idea of it. Well, in 1977, we said, this is this is crazy. So number one, constitutional amendment. That ain't going to happen now because the Republicans are in love with the Electoral College because it's the only way George Bush became president. Al Gore actually won a half million more votes in the national vote. And it's the only way Donald Trump became president. Right. Hillary Clinton won three million votes. The other way to do it is to get Enough states to represent 270 electoral votes to sign on to this interstate compact. It's called the National Popular Vote .dot com compact, and you can get all the information, Carrie, at National Popular Vote .dot com, and be sure that you get the .dot com, and, um, and 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 lobby your state. I don't know if Missouri is a member of the compact or not, but they they need about uh, I think they they need something on the order of around 80 more. Electoral votes—you know, states representing that more, many more votes—to to make it work. Mm-hmm. Carrie, You're thanks. listening to Tom Hartman, Bill in Saint Helens, Oregon. Hey, Bill, what's up? I think someone needs to remind the Joint Chiefs, the American people, the Congress,
2: and Donald Trump that he has no constitutional authority to unilaterally start a war, none. Any order given by Trump to start a war, null and void. It's duty of the Joint Chiefs to just say, we're not gonna do that, Donny boy, okay? And the authorized use of military force, uh, Tom, that was a constitutional obscenity. That was without force, null and void at inception. Every member of Congress that voted for that, violated the constitutional oath, and George Bush killed two countries. Okay, that's it.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I agree, Bill. And, and I think that the, uh, this whole idea of uh, authorizations to use military force as if they're not declarations of war and therefore don't fall under the constitutional provisions that require you know war to be, caught, to be uh, declared by Congress, not by the president, are, are obscene. I, I'm with you. That's a good word for it. Bill, thank you for the call. Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Hey, Omar, what's on your mind today? this Trumpism, I mean, is it going to stay after Trump leave? Is Tom Cotton
0: is going to pick up where Trump left off? I know you said Friday's going to be the next Trump. Well, what's going to happen to Trumpism? This, this, I, you know, this thing that Trump tapped into and then brought to
6: the surface.
1: Yeah. I don't have a crystal ball, Omar, but my sense is that uh, Trump got, you know, he got 70 some odd million people to vote for him. And, uh, you know, which is not any small accomplishment. I'm guessing that, probably at least half of those people who voted for him voted for him because they like his racism. They like his xenophobia. They like his his, uh, you know, misogyny, his white supremacy, his male supremacy. I mean, and the other half who voted for him just, you know, always vote for Republicans because you know whatever i mean you know they they listen to right wing talk radio or they just they just you know have a this identity you know nascar republican kind of thing but you know typically racism goes hand in hand with that you know with all the confederate memorabilia and everything else my guess is that trump is it, you know, Trump three weeks ago rolled out this brand new pack called the Save America Pack, and that pack I'm getting again overnight. I mean, in the last in the last 24 hours, I've gotten at least eight fund, fundraising requests from Donald Trump, from Rudy Giuliani, from from the uh, uh, the president of the RNC, Romney McDaniel, Mitt Romney's niece. I'm getting all these uh, you know, emails begging me for money, and when I click on them, 100% of the time, they go to 60% of the money goes to the Save America PAC, 40% goes to the RNC. No matter what they say they're for. They say they're to count, recount the vote, or they say they're to pay for lawyers, or they say they're to, to defend your right to vote, or they say they're to, uh, to push back on the fake news. I mean, they, it's always a different excuse or reason or, or battle that we're fighting on your behalf, Tom or Fred as the case may be. But uh, when you click on it, what you see is that the money's actually going to Donald Trump. And and he's got what's called a leadership pack, which means he can use that money for pretty much, uh, you know, about half his living expenses. And he can uh, also use that money to buy politicians. He can, he can just pass that money along to politicians that he wants to support or help. This is how yeah. Mitch McConnell controls the Senate. Is he has a leadership pack like this? It brings in tens of millions of dollars a year, and then he redistributes that money to uh, Republican senators based on how how they're voting and whether they're voting with him and all that kind of stuff. It's it's like it's like old machine politics. It's like this giant bribery bribery scam. But there's no doubt in my mind that uh, Donald Trump has figured out he can make more money in politics than in real estate, and so he's going to stay in politics. The question is, will? How many people are going to follow it? So, and I don't think anybody knows the answer to that. Omar, Omar thanks a lot for the call. Daryl in Danville, New Jersey. Hey, Daryl, what's on your mind today?
5: Hey, Tom, how are you doing?
1: Great. What's up?
5: Yeah, I, I actually um, joined Parler uh, because uh, so many of these uh you know, right-wingers are, are moving from Twitter to Parler so they can engage in this disinformation in, uh, with impunity. And I'm telling you, Tom, it is a cult, and we are going to be in the middle of a serious mental health crisis pretty soon. You think uh, we're not already? What we have is people who are living in an alternative reality, but they don't realize they're living in an alternative reality because they're being told that Every time there's some negative news on Trump, they say, don't listen to this. Don't watch this news network. Do not read this newspaper. Do not listen to this pundit. And basically, they're limiting their information flow to OAN, Newsmax, Breitbart, and a bunch of websites that you've never heard of that just sort of popped up out of nowhere. And it's really to, to watch them and to engage with them as they twist themselves into knots to sort of explain away, you know, all of this, this negative news on the Trump campaign's effort to overturn this election is really sad in a way. Uh, it's like, um, you know, we don't allow uh, drugs near schools for a reason, right? We don't say, well, let the kids take drugs. We don't allow this because kids are not young enough I mean, are not old enough to be able to make good decisions. So we don't let drugs near schools. These people are like, and and, and I don't say this to be elitist, but a lot of these people are simple people with very little education, with very little intellectual curiosity. And so allowing this sort of crazy information flow to these is like giving drugs to children. And it's I
1: mean well it's not just allowing Daryl it's being promoted I mean this is a website or parlor is a, an app I've downloaded the app but I did you know when I went to sign up you know they want your phone number and your email address and all this kind of stuff and I was like I don't want to give that to, to to the Mercer family well, maybe I'll maybe I'll decide to later this afternoon I you've you've piqued my curiosity it's, I created just, a Google voice uh, number <laughs> Oh well, that's an interesting way to do it. I, I was thinking of just putting in a phony <laughs> phone number, you know, five 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 one two one two or something like that. But but you know, we'll see. I, they may not accept that. I don't know. Maybe there's a way of. Did they validate your membership through your phone? Was that their way of confirming? They, it they did. Get, they did, and, and getting permission to And I, and text I, and I to use you. my Google. Yeah, yeah
5: and I, I use my Google Voice to, to respond, and, and so my my uh, account is validated, but. These people are crazier than you know. We know that they're crazy because, you know, they still believe that Trump won this election by, a, not just
1: that he won the election, they believe he won the election by a landslide. I appreciate that. Craig in Half Moon Bay, California. Hey, Craig, what's up? Good morning, Barney.
3: I called (laughs) you two weeks ago, and we got a bunch of responses, and I wanted to answer their questions and your objections. blockchain voting versus mailed voting there were only three things they brought up and something you brought up and i want full disclosure i am an expert at this i have a patent in ai encryption and attack detection i've written a lot of software so may i proceed with three objections and questions they brought up and you brought up
1: you may have 60 seconds craig
3: thank you the first one was you saying mail-in ballots are great and i said well We have an honest Governor Newsom who mailed one to me that I never got, thanks to DeJoy. And so I suggest there should be another alternative for people to vote safely at home with a phone or a tablet. One of your callers said, well, what if I don't have a phone or a laptop? And I don't know anybody in America who doesn't know somebody with a phone or a laptop. And the third thing was something you brought up about security. The military uses a system called VOTE, D O E C Z or something, when they're overseas. And there's another one called VOTETOOL.org. It's open source. And I just believe that with open source and, as Edward Snowden said, end-to-end encryption, you are secure. You're able to vote safely at home. And that, that call you had earlier, Richard, who said people shouldn't vote uh, because of some reason, I think when you turn 18, like you said, and you're a citizen, everybody should be allowed to vote. That too, but that's my own opinion.
1: I'm with you. (laughs) Craig, I'm guessing that probably within five years or so, you know, what you're envisioning will be. But uh, right now, my default is paper and paper through the mail works really, really well. Sharon in Texarkana, Arkansas. Hey, Sharon, what's on your mind today?
0: I want to know, is there any way we can sue our Senate for not doing our stimulus package and take worrying about America instead of worrying about
1: President Trump and what the hell he got going on? Unfortunately, Sharon, the way that we keep politicians, uh, hold them to account, as it were, is through elections. Uh, uh, Politicians have something called sovereign immunity, which means that they cannot be sued. For doing their job, failing to do their job, or doing their job badly, they can only be kicked out by uh, either being voted out of office or be, being recalled or impeached, depending on the state, depending on the politician.
2: Oh, okay,
1: thank you. I am there. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Good talking to you. I wish you the very best. We, you know, it, it would be nice if we could I, on occasion, but it, it would also be a never-ending thing. Joan in Luddington, Michigan. Hey, Joan, what's on your mind today?
7: I wanted to tell you about what happened to our township clerk. I live outside of Ludington, and this poor woman—she's all by herself. She doesn't have a crew. She has—she's—it's just her. And she spent—well, typically she would she would just do nothing all day Wednesday because she would be exhausted. Well, she finished up counting all the ballots, and, and there had been all of this stuff with the with the uh, mail-in, so, you know, that sort of made extra stuff for her to do. And she spent all her time doing this. She gets, she finishes up at 7 in the morning on Wednesday, and she just kind of pooped out, you know. And mm-hmm. then the, the telephone starts ringing all the time. She finally unplugged it. Somebody put her name and address on, on Twitter, and... People were calling and saying that she was was having dead people vote. Oh, there geez. was a thing where you put down your your um, your birth date, but it wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't necessary to vote because you had the yeah. address and the signature and all that right. business. But somebody interpreted to have somebody. Uh, there were people who interpreted it to it to mean that that um, it was a the computer. Put in zero one zero one zero one. So they said, "This is a dead person. She she's voting You have her voting, and she's one hundred nineteen years old."
4: Right.
5: (laughs) And
7: they just harassed her like you wouldn't believe. She estimates that it was it was somewhere around thirty to forty five calls before she unplugged her phone. They absolutely drove her crazy, and they were accusing her. And she said, "What was really stupid about the whole thing?" Was that, that they won in a landslide? Wait till you hear what the landslide was. Uh, yeah. Trump Trump um, won one thousand four hundred seventy two votes, and Biden won one thousand fifty four votes. So you see, he was winning by he was winning by a landslide, and and she this is a good Republican lady. Why would she do this? There's just yeah. no sense to it, and they just about drove her crazy till she pulled the, till she did her phone.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's couldn't, so sad. I couldn't believe it. It's there you were know uh, Trump doing in that. his, yeah, Trump and his flailing about trying to keep from going to prison next year, um, and losing his empire because once he's no longer president, the banks will start foreclosing on him. They're not going to do it while he's president. Um, but he's looking at, the, you know, he's going to lose everything and his kids are going to lose everything. And I mean, this this ultimate sure grift was, running for I president of the United States. $400 million in debt. Well, <laughs> oh, that's that's what he personally guaranteed. He's actually a billion dollars in debt that we know of and maybe more. Oh, wow. I mean, this guy has been living on borrowed money for a long, long time, pretending that he's a rich guy. And, and before that, he was living on his daddy's money. He's a, he's a failure. He's always been a failure. He's never been a competent businessman. You know, all he does is, is uh, you know, it's he, con people. He's a professional con man. And the con is coming to an end. And he's not happy about that at all. So anyhow, Joan, I got to move along. But I'm so sorry to hear that story. Please give our very best to your to your uh, your local town clerk there. And and uh, uh, it's another cautionary tale. I mean, this is, you know, Donald Trump is spinning this stuff in order to try and keep out of jail. And there's a lot of people who are t- believing it, who are taking it seriously. People who otherwise might be good people. Not all of them, obviously, but some of them. Anyhow, Tom in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today?
6: Oh, yeah. Um, I, I wanted to applaud your um, continuing discussion of um, Trump supporters, what makes them take Uh, and you're used to the word fascism. um, I I think it's totally uh, spot on. Um, I just had three quick observations. I I read an article in uh, Sunday's Times. I don't know, it was on the front page about, I think the title was how these people aren't ready to give in or they don't want to heal and the Democrats, and then what you said about Kasich a minute ago, so it underscored that. But at the end of the article was what really made me mad. There was a picture of this guy and his wife and he said it uh, was somewhere in Texas, Mason, Texas. And he says um, Biden just wants to make things uh, good for the immigrants, and these people come in here to steal, steal my job, and and they and they sit on their butts all day and do nothing. And that, that really, I'm not Hispanic, I'm not an immigrant. I, yeah, my my grandparents were, but um, out here in New Mexico, you see these people selling wood at the side of the road. You know, they work all week and they chop wood and they. And, and they're selling anything, you know. And they'll do anything for, for uh, to make a quick buck. And, and and the point I wanted to make there is that they just want the same thing we do. They are Americans, yeah. Tom, just like you and I. They may not be citizens, but they they want the same thing we want. Um, the other point, uh, you know, since Google got me. Angry, well, if I could just
1: speak to that, Tom, very 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 briefly. Um, we yeah. do. I, 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 I to to a certain extent, I I agree with some of the concerns. You can't, if you're going to have uh, a a labor system in a country, you have to be able to control the supply of labor. And so, uh, yes, we're a country of immigrants. Yes, historically, about a million people a year become U.S. citizens. They immigrate to the United States, become U.S. citizens. Trump has radically Mm -hmm. cut that back. And yes, we've got about somewhere between, you know, 10 and 15 million people in the country who are not citizens, um, many of whom are working. Mm -hmm the The problem is that prior to the Reagan administration, the burden was on employers. If an employer hired somebody who was not a citizen in order to exploit them in order to be able to pay them crap wages, uh, knowing that they couldn't you know retaliate or anything like that, the employer would go to yeah. jail. Reagan changed that with the with the with the immigration reform that happened during the Reagan administration. Reagan made it so that the immigrant goes to jail and the employer skates. And as a result of that, you now have I don't know if it's still going on, but it was certainly going on four years ago. Um, You had meatpacking plants in the upper Midwest advertising in Spanish in newspapers in Mexico for employees and the reason that they were doing that was because they want you know they wanted to get rid of the unions being a meat packer used to be a really well paid job uh, so you know, there was so much money in it that the meat union in Wisconsin started the green bay packers that's why it's called the packers and so you know <laughs> exactly. the, so so we've got to you know you've got to have some control over that and and frankly um, you know, I'm, I'm not real enthusiastic to round people up and kick them out of the country or anything like that. I think that we need to provide some sort of a path to c- citizenship. But Reagan, was try- Reagan set up a system which has been in place now for 40 years where employers can use non-citizen labor to break unions and, 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 and hold down wages. And that needs to be ended. That needs to be ended. We need to go back to throwing employers in jail when they violate those laws like every other developed country on earth does. I lived in Germany for a year. It took me six months to get a work permit to be able to live in Germany Mm. and draw a paycheck. Mm. I worked in Australia. It it took me three months to get a work permit in Australia. And that was just to give speeches that Mm. I got paid for, you know, for a three week Mm. period. So, you know, I uh, you. we need we need to have something like that. But you it, but you don't have to go crazy racist talking like that. Anyhow, oh, Tom, yeah. back to you. Yeah, you right. got 30 seconds.
6: Oh, yeah. Don't imply that they, um, you know, that they don't work, you know, that they don't want to work. But uh, oh, these are people who other work other their asses point. off. Yeah. And then so. But uh, two other quick points. We were watching TV a couple of weeks ago. And so one of those Trump trains, you know, where people driving around in their mm-hmm. uh, pickup trucks, with their guns and their Yeah, the flags. wannabe ISIS guys sits, Yeah, and my my wife sits up and she says, You know where I saw this before? Argentina, nineteen seventy nine. What does that tell you, Tom?
1: Yeah, and, that, and we also you know, and we also saw it in Iraq as ISIS was taking over, and you'd see these guys coming through in their caravans of pickup trucks with their giant ISIS flags and their and their uh, AK-47s. Yeah, spot on, Tom. That's that's exactly what it is. You're looking at fascism at the ground level. Joe in East Longmeadow, Massachusetts. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind? Why
4: doesn't Trump want to give up the transfer of power to Biden?
5: And what's he got to hide?
1: he's afraid of going to jail as long as he is president under this justice department policy that the nixon justice department came up with back after nixon was taking bribes from jimmy hoffa and from the milk lobby The Justice Department said, you can't prosecute a sitting president. Then they got reconfirmed or reaffirmed by the Bill Clinton Justice Department when the Republicans were talking about prosecuting Bill Clinton for lying about Monica Lewinsky. So as long as he's president, the Justice Department can't investigate him or prosecute him. When he leaves the White House, they can. And that's what he's worried about, in my opinion, John. The Senate, they're living high on the hog, and we're living in the ditches. Why is that? Well that's mitch mcconnell he's he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars and he doesn't really care about anybody who's not they used to refer to the senate as the millionaires club the wealthiest members of the federal government are in the senate most of them the vast majority of them are republicans Uh, probably the largest exception to that is diane feinstein but by and large you know the your really rich dudes or people are the well kelly loffler you know the senator from georgia her husband owns the new york stock exchange (laughs) talk about big bucks But still, she feels that she has to trade on inside information, which is just disgusting. You know, that's what's going on, Joe. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is uh, by Joy Ann Reed. It's titled The Man Who Sold America. This is from the introduction titled Welcome to Gotham. To truly understand donald trump you need to have lived in new york city in the 1980s and 90s when his businesses and marital escapades were a tabloid staple or maybe you just need to have grown up on batman gotham city which the brooding billionaire bruce wayne polices as his vigilante alter ego is an exaggerated dystopian send-up of old new york it's filled with over-the-top villains who like batman possess no actual superpowers but get by on their cleverness, their ostentatious wealth, and their ability to wreak havoc on the urban landscape. Donald Trump seems ripped right out of that comic book supervillain universe. With his cantilever hairstyle, weirdly long signature neckties, bizarre syntax, and penchant for slapping his surname on anything he's connected with, from buildings and golf courses to bottled water board games, and for a time, a sham university that promised anyone could learn to be just like the Donald. Trump and the cast of characters surrounding him could fit right in with Joker, Riddler, Penguin, and Lex Luthor. Trump has existed on the outskirts of American celebrity and popular culture for the lifespans of most Americans under the age of 40. He made cameos in movies like Home Alone 2 and on TV shows such as The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. He was in the guest chair on The Phil Donahue Show and The Oprah Winfrey Show, and he performed mock fights with World Wrestling Entertainment Chairman Vince McMahon on multiple episodes of WrestleMania. He even pretended to buy WWE's lucrative Monday Night Raw franchise in an elaborate ruse in 2009, which tanked the entertainment company's stock price, prompting Trump to quickly pretend to sell it back for twice the price. Despite his history of housing discrimination against black tenants and his full-ad in the 1980s, full-page ad in the 1980s calling for a group of black and brown teenagers to be put to death for the for a gang rape they didn't commit. Trump managed to work his way into popular mainstream mainstream popular culture. Early on, he was a tabloid-friendly rogue and celebrity hanger-on, and later the king of the B-list stars who jockeyed for his approval on Celebrity Apprentice. Had he not signed on to the racist birther conspiracy, claiming that America's first black president, Barack Obama, was not born in the United States, and plunged headfirst into the morass of anti-immigrant xenophobia that helped him win the presidency, the old Donald Trump might have carried on. He may have remained a cultural gadfly, that peculiar brand of celebrity whose views on everything from geopolitics to the Oscars are sought out for no particular reason other than that he is famous and quotable. But Donald Trump did become president, and so here we are. As a candidate, Trump offered Republicans the taste of the celebrity status that Ronald Reagan had given them, something normally reserved for Democrats. That's what attracted Sam Nunberg, the 38-year-old political advisor who toiled on Trump's warm-up attempts at a presidential runs and on the real presidential deal until he lost a war with Trump campaign manager Corey Lewandowski and was fired in the summer of 2015. Nunberg says Lewandowski saw to it that old racist posts on his Facebook page surfaced. He later apologized for those posts. And though Nunberg readily says that Trump screwed him, He claims he'd vote for him again in 2020 because Trump has delivered on Republican policies and judicial nominations. I knew our campaign wasn't doing well when I went into our restaurant after he announced, Nunberg said. The TV was on CNN, and he was on, and people were watching. These were people who normally wouldn't give a S-word, but they were watching him. Trump wasn't just another politician doing a TV hit. He was an American mogul, an entertainer, Nunberg said. And he wasn't rich from making microchips or selling stocks. It was from building, construction. It was this image of success, of him being rich and he can make you rich. We were the WWE, Fox News version of the Obama campaign in the beginning, and I mean that as a compliment. It was aspirational. It was, we can fight the system. Nunberg was raised on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and nurtured on conservative talk radio, strident support for Israel and suspicion of the Middle East. After volunteering for Mitt Romney's 2008 campaign, he worked for right-wing lawyer Jay Sekulow during the 2010 fight to prevent the construction of a mosque near Ground Zero, the site of 9-11. He says Trump wrote a BS letter at the time offering to buy the land where the mosque was to be built, but the offer was just a PR stunt. Nunberg's parents were lawyers, and so he became one too. His father had worked for a law firm that Trump and his father had used for real estate deals. But Nunberg didn't meet Trump in person until he was introduced to him in 2010 by yet another Gotham City character, Roger Stone, the villain with the Richard Nixon tattoo on his back. I wanted to win a national election and thought Trump could win, Nunberg says of his eagerness to sign on. I thought it was cool that Obama went on the late night shows. I thought the John McCain ad showing Obama speaking to millions of people and showing Paris Hilton slamming him as a Hollywood celebrity was the dumbest effing thing I'd ever seen. He all but screamed at the time, you just won him millions of votes. Nunberg thought his party was living in the 1950s. And though Trump was his own version of the madman era, to Nunberg, he was a madman for the 21st century. He and Trump shared a sensibility. He likens to a retired New York City firefighter or cop who mainlines Fox News, plus Rush Limbaugh and Mike Levin on talk radio, and thinks to himself, this country has gone to crap, and we need a guy in the White House who's willing to punch a few holes in the wall. It's Joanne Reed's book, The Man Who Sold America. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Jerry in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, Jerry, what's on your mind today?
5: When uh, our idiot president has people that he puts in in, in positions of other, you know, fires one guy, puts another guy in, all this stuff, is he entitled to a retirement? I mean, would we have to pay for his retirement when...
1: No, it's a good question, Jerry. I don't know the answer but the to that. He puts in. I'm guessing it. Yeah, I'm guessing it depends on the position whether you know there are benefits associated with them. There are uh, four or five thousand, oh. as I recall, political appointee positions in Washington DC, and those will mostly go when Donald Trump goes. Um, the thing that concerns me, though, uh-huh. is that he has been installing people in civil service positions. Oh. He's, he's been firing people who are, have lot, a lot of seniority in agencies or pushing them out and then replacing them with Trump toadies or science deniers over at the EPA, for example. He'll put in you know, science-denying scientists or global warming-denying scientists and and putting them into civil service positions and once you're in a civil service position you're basically you know it's like being a union member you've got you've got protections and you can't be fired unless you commit you know some horrible crime or demonstrably can't do your job and so joe biden is going to have a mm-hmm. hell of a job over the next 4 years Pulling like you know carrots out of the garden or weeds out of the garden, pulling these civil service people out that Donald Trump has been burying, embedding in EPA, in Homeland Security, in the Interior Department, in in uh, the CDC. I mean, he's just he's just been sprinkling them all over government and using that that the power which Republicans have always hated of civil service in order to make it even harder to get rid of them. That's my biggest concern. But in terms of pensions and benefits, I I just don't know. I don't. I don't the answer. I'm sorry. Dennis in Pine Top, Arizona. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind today?
0: I'm a disabled veteran, so is my brother. We're Vietnam era. We were drafted off the city streets of Flint, Michigan as an ex Vietnam era combat paratrooper and as an ex city cop. I know for a fact that based on probable cause, the commander in chief can be arrested. For dereliction of duty and/or uh, conspiracy to commit treason, which would, of course, uh, tagline into uh,
1: all the other people from uh, McConnell to minutia, but. Um, who does the arresting? Does? I mean, the Justice Department, back during the Nixon administration, came up with this rule. And this was when they were looking into Nixon's crimes. Uh, and So, of course, it was Nixon's Justice Department. That uh, the Justice Department, the federal prosecutors, cannot build a case. They can't even investigate the possibility of building a case against a sitting president. And then that got reaffirmed when Bill Clinton, during the Monica Lewinsky time, had his Justice Department come up with you know, a legal opinion uh, doubling down on that, I disagree with both of them. I think they're completely wrong. But that's—it's not the law, but it's the policy of the Department of Justice. So, if not federal prosecutors, uh, you know, directing the FBI, who does the arresting, Dennis?
5: You're correct. We're not
0: talking about the investigative stage. We're talking probable cause arrest or dereliction of duty, unlawful orders with 20,000 lives and all the incidents uh, corrected. uh, Yeah, but he's not subject to the Uniform Code of
1: Military Justice, if that's what you're talking about, Dennis. The UCMJ does not apply to the president. He's a civilian.
5: That's
1: exactly exactly what I'm talking about. The commander-in-chief
0: is arrestable by the Joint Chiefs of Staff.
1: He is not subject to the UCMJ, to the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And for people who don't know what we're talking about, and let me just clarify this real quickly, Dennis, and then you can build your case again. When you join the military, you surrender your normal constitutional rights. You give up your free speech rights. You give up your privacy rights. You give up a whole bunch of rights in exchange for being in the military. And in exchange for those rights, you now are under a separate legal system. Which is which is referred to as the Uniform Code of Military Justice. There are sep- there's a separate court system. There are separate lawyers. This is what Lindsey Graham was. He's a JAG officer, which means he's a he's a, a military lawyer. Um, it's a completely different system. But the pre- the whole idea of making the president the commander-in-chief of the military uh, at the founding of this republic was to have a person who was not in the military and was not subject to military discipline Be uh, to have a civilian overseeing the military um, to provide balance, you know, because the problem was pretty much every military coup is done by the military. Dennis, if I said anything, did I get anything wrong there? You got about 10 seconds. Yeah, no, you did. You did not say anything
0: wrong. Uh, uh, I believe that the inspector general has the ability to, uh, in conjunction with the Joint Chiefs of Staff,
1: to take him into custody. Well, I hope you're right and I'd love to see it. (laughs) Dennis, thank you for the call. And listening to tom hartman for
6: audio and video archives visit tomhartman.com
2: look around you can find cars like these on autotrader like that car riding your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on autotrader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well multitasking pro